Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 155 of Yoga Land. Today, my guest is Sarah Kusera. Sarah is an Ayurvedic practitioner, she's a chiropractor, and she is a yoga teacher. And she's also the author of the new book, The Ayurvedic Self Care Handbook Holistic Healing Rituals for Every Day and Every Season. I was so happy to be introduced to Sarah and her book. I took to her book right away, and I think it is just a much-needed book in this space, in the Ayurveda canon of books. I've read a lot of Ayurveda books over the years, and I think that this is the first one I have ever read that just feels relevant to how we live now and answers a lot of the questions of how do we incorporate this ancient science into our lives in a really practical way. The book largely focuses on self-care. And as you know, this has been a pertinent topic for me, especially over like the past year and a half. I feel like I've really been trying to just be much more mindful about self-care, both for myself and for you all and my students. So it was really exciting to talk to Sarah about how she decided to look at Ayurveda through this lens and also come up with all of her great ideas, which we talk through in the podcast. I'll just give you a hint about one of them. She's created this idea of the pranic budget. Makes total sense, right? In modern life, we budget our money, we budget our time, but we don't think about budgeting our vital essence. So she helps us do that. And it was just really lovely to talk to her. And I'm so happy to introduce you to Sarah. Well, hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here today with me. I'm so happy. I was talking to you before we officially started that I'm so happy that our mutual friend, Gina Caputo, introduced us. Hi, Gina, if you're out there listening. And did you see on social media that Gina announced that she's going to be launching a podcast soon? Yes. And I'm so excited. I'm so excited too. She's like the perfect person to do it. It looks like it's going to be a Q&A, like a almost, it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be called Ask Gina, but kind of like an Ask Gina kind of thing. Yeah. So. Dear Yogini. Dear Yogini. Think, right? There you yeah. go. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So excited about that. And I bet she'll have you on, which will be great too. But I get to have you on first. <laughs> so you recently wrote a book called The Ayurvedic Self-Care Book, Holistic Healing Rituals for Every Day and Season. And I love it so much. I just want to tell you that first of all. Yeah. Anyone who's listened to the podcast knows that I'm, I've never done like a full Ayurvedic teacher training, but I've definitely been reading about it and working with Ayurvedic practitioners as writers. And I call myself a big dabbler <laughs> for a long mm-hmm. time. And one of the things that's always been frustrating to me is that I was never really able to find a book that was written just for modern people. And, you know, still obviously very referential to to the tradition, but I couldn't find anything that just felt really, really practical. And your book feels feels really, really practical. So I appreciate that. Thanks. That's actually really great to hear because even though that wasn't the number one reason for me writing, that was something that I was really desiring mm-hmm. and that it would help to reach an audience that maybe was kind of even turned off by some of the more traditional approaches or just even the languaging, but I didn't want to lose the essence of it. Right. 
I feel like you didn't. And then I, I also like that you're looking at it through this specific lens of self-care. I have been talking about self-care for about like actively for almost a year now, just through the podcast and then also through this self-care meditation course I've been doing. I've been offering online. And I don't think it's something that I really paid very careful attention to until I became a mom and very overwhelmed. And then I, you know, had an illness, I had breast cancer, and I was very overwhelmed. And now I I just sort of want to spread the message to people that it is so important and it's such a great way to show that you value yourself like as a foundation. Yeah. But I wanted to just start with what prompted you to look at it through this lens of Ayurveda through this lens of self-care? I was in a place in my own life where I was feeling like I was doing all of the work that I loved and was passionate about as a chiropractor and an Ayurvedic practitioner and a yoga teacher. And I'm an entrepreneur. So I have a business that incorporates all of these things. And even though I was doing a lot of things that were fulfilling to me, I was feeling a pretty overwhelming sense of burnout. And it was really helpful. I think there's no coincidence that oftentimes my clients and patients are reflecting back to me the things Mm -hmm. that I'm experiencing personally. And so, you know, I was attracting people that were dealing with the same things like low energy and just feeling depleted. And I was realizing in them and the things I was recommending to them that so many of them were were not really treating their days as if they could control it or create their own sort of structure or container for it. And they were doing all the right things to stay healthy if you looked at it by textbook in terms of what they were eating and how they were exercising and the amount of sleep they were getting. And they were really prioritizing their health, but I felt like it was so sporadic and spread out and it, like I was saying, the word container kept coming to me is that there was nothing to contain this energy that they were putting forth towards their self-care. And when I looked at that in my own life, it was sort of the same thing. Like I knew all of the right things to do and I was doing them, but I really didn't have the structure and consistency that I needed. So I actually did a little photo journal. I did a little experiment on myself and I haven't shared this too much, I don't think publicly, but I decided, okay, I'm going to go to bed at the same time. I'm going to wake up at the same time. I'm going to eat at the same times. And so I wasn't getting extra sleep. I wasn't eating any differently. I was just doing things in very consistent, very consistent way. And my appearance changed, Hmm. (laughs) my energy changed. And people kept commenting when I was posting these little updates. I just posted a handful of them of like, yeah, you know, sleep is important. You have to get sleep. And I said, I'm getting sleep. It's just that I'm actually now getting sleep within the hours that I should be getting sleep. And these are things that Ayurveda has recommended, but I think we get distracted when we learn about Ayurveda by things like herbs and what kind of food should we have. And we were kind of missing, like I was personally missing that underlying foundation of like Dinacharya and the things that Mm. are recommended for self-care within Ayurveda. And, you know, that also has to do with how we structure our day and the Ayurvedic clock. And that was something that I too was overlooking. And so Mm -hmm. I incorporated it in my life and then started working with patients in that way and thought, you know, this is missing. Like we aren't emphasizing this enough. So that was the big reason Mm -hmm. for writing. And I think people also get when we start talking about Ayurveda, and I mean, I'm guilty of this too, but people also get sort of 
obsessed with their dominant dosha is. <laughs> and, That's true. Right? It's like it's like the astrology thing. We're like, oh, wait, well, I think I'm Vata, but sometimes I feel Kava. And, you know, when I've had um, Nika Quisgard on and she talks about, you know, as a practitioner, you'll ask more for the imbalance in the person than for their specific dosha because we have combinations of all of the doshas. So I'm just wondering for you, when you changed your routine, what was like out of whack for you in terms of having that consistency. Like for me, it's really, really hard to go to bed on time. Mm-hmm. I just kind of stretch the day out and I keep going and going and going. Or was it just that you had never really thought about it before? It honestly had to do more with bookends. I think for people who have experienced this, this will make sense. And I think I have a hard time articulating it to those who haven't experienced this. But I was basically waking up and working Mm -hmm. right away. And I would work until I would eat. And then I probably would be working while I was eating. Mm. And that work would just basically last until I went to bed. And there was, there was nothing really defining a day as a day. Hmm. Everything was just merging into the next, into the next, into the next. And so I, you know, you could argue that I was overworking and I would agree with that, but I'm also a small business owner. And some of those things sometimes it's unavoidable Mm -hmm. and you can ask for help and you can get help and you can be doing all those things and you still have to put in a fair amount of time during certain periods throughout the year and it just happens. Mm -hmm. And so seeing that that's unavoidable, what I was realizing is I'm not even recognizing the start of a day and the end of a day at all. Yeah. And, and it's like not, crazy. no, but it, I, I totally get it. And I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure most everyone listening will get it too, because we are just, we're in a phase of our society where it feels like it's what we have to be doing to survive in a way. Yeah. yeah. And I think for me too, that also I live just a block and a half from where I work. And so I don't have a commute and I'm basically living where I work in a way. And Though I don't really like commuting, I look back at the times when I had like a even a 15-minute commute and there was something about that, that it it was me going away from work. And even if I decided to work at home, there was still some kind of transition that stopped and said like, this is a, like a small pause or a little bit of break or reprieve in what I was doing. And that just, that didn't exist mm-hmm. at all. So mm-hmm. I would have people in my office And I would think, you know, like, I probably haven't seen this person, you know, like maybe it was a week ago and they'd be talking about like, oh, you know, I haven't been here in a month. And I'd look back at when their last visit was. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like I haven't left this room (laughs) and it's been a whole month, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just because I was working so much. Yeah. So it really wasn't that I wasn't sleeping because that I've always prioritized sleep and I was going to bed on time and I was eating. But it was really more just there wasn't anything to say, your day is starting. This is the middle of your day, and this is the end of your day. Yeah, I get it. And and I, it just brings to mind for me, like when we do that to ourselves, it's almost like an unconscious way of saying there actually isn't value to this day because I'm just a machine and I'm just getting through it and I'm just pushing along instead of like taking any pause to reconnect to just being alive or to the world. You're so right. And then you're also treating your body like a machine where I try not to use the word 
habit too much because I feel like habit sort of reiterates us as a machine. Whereas if we talk about routine or ritual, there's more of a mindfulness about those sorts of things to me. So even my self-care was more habitual Hmm. and it was in more of a mechanical way. Like, and now I do this and now I do this. And it was more of a checklist instead of enjoying, you know, like tongue cleaning can be really rewarding. Mm -hmm. Yes, it actually is. (laughs) Yeah. I can be present when I, when I'm cleaning my tongue. Yeah. Yeah. So it did have a very machine-like feel. Can we go to a a technical aspect of what you refer to, which is the Ayurvedic clock? Can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about the Ayurvedic clock and when, you know, when the ideal times are to fall asleep and wake up and all that stuff? The Ayurvedic clock is similar to our circadian clock. It's a little bit different in a few different ways, but the the quick way to get the idea across is that if we are all familiar with circadian rhythms and the fact that we should be sleeping at night, and then there are different activities that are better for us during different times of day in terms of how our physiology works, that's what Ayurveda has been saying since its inception. So there are four-hour time blocks that can be allotted or that show the characteristics of different doshas. And those timeframes are from two to six, both AM and PM. That is the Vata time of day. Then you have from six to 10, which is the Kapha time of day. And again, that's the AM and PM time slots. And then from 10 to two, which is the Pitta time of day. Mm And those days take on, or those time frames of the day take on different the different characteristics that those constitutions have. So, if you think of the easiest example, is the ten to two time frame in the middle of the day being the pitta time, and that's also the peak of the sun. So, pitta being the fire dosha is also the hottest time of day. And of course, that's a really simple example, but that, in terms of our doshas governing different parts of our physiology tell us how we should be using our energy and and how we might misuse our energy. Hmm. So with regards to when we should be sleeping and this, you know, I really like to try to modernize Ayurveda as much as possible without disrespect, but I just think like we have to adopt these different concepts and ideas in the way that we can and to incorporate them in the way that we can and not to, to be too hard on ourselves for not being able to wake up at, at 4 a.m. <laughs> um, but you know, that, like that is a more ideal time to wake is yeah. that we would ideally wake before six, not just because it's an auspicious time of day, but because it's the Vata time of day, it's the lighter time of day. Whereas we wind down and go to bed by 10 so that we're in bed before or by the time Pitta Mm. starts to rev up in in us again. And many people will say, you know, like they get sort of a a second burst of energy around 10 or 11 at night and that's Pitta. Mm -hmm. So if we're in bed by that time, we end up misusing that energy and devoting it towards a project when it should be devoted towards digestion. Hmm. Let's say we were to wake at four or five. Yeah. I think five is more like five is it's more reasonable, more doable for people. What is the recommended energetic approach to that time of day? Mm-hmm. Just practice. So Vata is our, it's our lightest constitution and uh, it's the dosha that's made of ether and air. And what we want to do, and this is 
our approach when we talk about even our own personal doshas. So if if I'm a vata constitution and vatas tend to be spontaneous and and they like change and they can be creative and they like movement. So you want to feed vata at least a little bit with those things. Otherwise it will feel really deprived. It'll it would basically be like not giving food mm. to that constitution. But if you give it too much of that, then the scales get tipped and it creates an imbalance. And that could happen with any constitution, of course, but it would that would happen more easily in that regard with with vata. So you want to you want to allow it the light and the spaciousness that it that it's craving, but you can only give it a certain amount. So in terms of that time of day, you want to practice some of the lighter activities like meditation and breathing um, practices and or prayer and some of those more spiritual practices without forgetting that you might also need to be grounded at the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it is kind of an ideal time for practice. I'm not an early riser. I'm really a night owl. But when I do manage to get up early enough to practice before my kid wakes up, it does feel really good. I have to admit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I have no idea if you've thought about this or if there really is any helpful solution. But I'm just thinking about, you know, people in in med school who are working night shifts often or just shift workers who, you know, you do hear that people who don't get to sleep during the, the typical circadian clock often suffer from health problems, especially if it's like prolonged for years. Is there any any wisdom or you can offer t- for people in that situation? I hope I can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try. It is something that comes up a lot because you're absolutely right. If you were to do a, you know, a lit search of peer-reviewed journals and to look up circadian rhythm and, you know, impacts of being out of sync with circadian rhythm, the most researched topic really is night shift workers and yeah. that that those people are impacted very greatly by not sleeping when they should be sleeping. So I think that that, of course, when we think of circadian rhythm, we often think of, oh, it's it's about sleep. So I have some patients who are night shift workers, and we've really done our best to try to work through this and figure out how can we make this work because there there isn't a way that they're going to be sleeping. And, you know, if you might work three and then you're off for three, and it's also never the same. So yeah. consistency yeah. becomes an issue. Hmm. What I look for with these people are things that can be consistent. So if they have to be up at a certain time, is there any way that they can still arrange their sleep cycle so that they're waking up and going to bed at the same times? Or if they're working three nights and then they have three nights off, is it still possible that they could eat lunch at the same time? Like, mm. are they up by by one in the afternoon and they could still have a big hearty lunch at that time of day? So it's really looking more at, because we know we can't help the sleep issue. So if we can't work with sleep, what are some of the other cycles that we can get in sync with that would help to just lessen the degree of that negative impact that comes from not being able to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's things like, when are you exercising? When are you eating? When are you eating your biggest meal? And yeah, just some of those other practices that can mitigate that. So it sounds like 
really having some sort of foundational consistency, even if it's not going to sleep and waking at the same time every day is still helpful. It's like something is better than nothing. Yes. Yes. And also kind of what I was talking about earlier that where I said my days were merging, one was merging into the next. And so it was really important for me to recognize this is my morning and this is my evening. For these people, I recommend that no matter what time they're going to bed. So if they can't go to bed at the same time every night, that they do the same things before they prepare, you know, before they go to sleep. Hmm. So if they're going to bed one night at 10 PM, but then the next they work some night shifts, they can't go to bed until eight in the morning. Can you still oil your feet before you go to sleep? And I think those things also help our body to recognize, you know, maybe this isn't the most ideal time for this physiological process, but it might help assist in how well that processed process is actually done. Right. That makes total sense. That's that's so nice. I like the bookends idea. Um, one of the things I, I think I say it in the little journal I have in the self-care course that I do is even when things get so crazy in my life that I'm not able to, you know, take a really long walk in the middle of the day or I'm not able to let's say, prepare my own meals for a few days. I still have just a, a little morning ritual, which which I think you would not approve of. <laughs> because I, Try me. <laughs> oh, it's, it just has to do with my coffee. I mean, I just, I get up before everyone just to like make my coffee and smell it and sit and mm-hmm. just have time to just enjoy that, that ritual. And then at the end of the day, I make sure that I have, I do like the oil wash with my face. I do like mm-hmm. a lot of different oils and things <laughs> with my with my face and neck. And so even if I only have time for those two things, it still makes a difference. It still yes. really feels so good to just give yes. yourself that little time. And like you said, it just triggers something in your nervous system. It it triggers like either, okay, we're waking up now and we're just like taking our time and what a day this is going to be. You know, it's like, or we're triggering like, yes, it's time to settle down. It's time to just enjoy feeling good in the body and that signal that you're taking care of yourself. Yes. And quite frankly, you might be surprised that I would not recommend taking coffee away from you because the way that it's working for you, it is more of a ritual and it is something that's signaling your body to this, like I'm waking up and this is me time. And you know, if you had an issue, let's say that you were suffering from like a pitta imbalance where that acidity wasn't good for you, or you had a vata imbalance where it was making you excessively nervous, you know, if you, if you had an issue from it, then it might be something that we would look at first, but taking coffee away from you would be one of the last (laughs) things that I would do because it's actually making you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I've told myself. So I'm glad, I'm glad I got the stamp of approval. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I never quite enjoyed that ritual as much as I have in the past few years. And and it was like, I started to realize how much I was enjoying it. And that if anyone interrupted it, I was like ferocious, (laughs) which is when I realized like, I need to get up earlier and make this you know, even just 10 to 15 minutes earlier than everyone else and just make this a nice little special, special time. That's another good point too, is that I feel like self-care should be accessible to everyone. And I've been a little disheartened by the way that the the term self-care has been 
used recently because it seems almost indulgent and that self-care might have to do with getting a lavish massage Mm -hmm. or buying some expensive oils or crystals or, you know, whatever it is, there's a lot. And and, and not that any of those things are bad, but that's not accessible to everyone. Yeah. And even the timing of that, whether that, you know, it might not just might not be just the cost, it might even be the time. And so I always encourage people that five minutes can make the world of difference. And sometimes when you realize that you have five minutes, you realize that maybe you have 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, so waking up five to 10 minutes earlier sounds doable and it can make a big difference. Yeah. I like one of the things you, you say in the book is it's really common to feel like it's all or nothing. Like either I'm on a healthy track and I'm doing really well and congratulations for me and oh, I fell off the wagon and now I don't have time to do anything. And I related to that really very well. I think that was me for years. And then once I started to incorporate five or 10 minutes throughout the day, it just makes a huge difference. And so you encourage that in the book that like something, you know, something is is better than than feeling like it has to be all or nothing. It's just doing the all or nothing thing to ourselves. It's like we're holding ourselves to a standard that just doesn't really exist. It's true. And there's a principle within Ayurveda that has to do with accumulation. Mm. And we talk about it more in terms of accumulation of something that isn't good for us, like like increases like, that if we partake in heating activities, then we can get a heated imbalance. But accumulation also works in a good way. Uh And if you have five minutes of an asana practice or a meditation practice every day for a week, there's 35 minutes that you didn't have before. Yeah. And in time, that really builds up and it can make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. I want to go to the pranic budget because I feel like this relates so well to what, what you're talking about. Well, what I'm thinking of right now that I'm not actually defining the pranic budget, but, but what you're making me think of is like, I think for me, before I was able to really manage to carve out little bits of time, I had some unconscious feeling that the whole world was going to fall apart if I didn't get everything done that I needed to get done. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm exaggerating, but it's like, that must be the thing that drives us because we drive ourselves, you know, to the brink of collapse and deterioration. And so we must do it because there's something in us that innately feels like we have to do it to survive. But once you carve out the small time, you see that everything's still fine. And then you're like, oh, well, maybe I could carve out a little more time. <laughs> maybe I could carve mm-hmm. out a little. But you present this really practical, it's so great. I love it. And I, I hope you've thought about creating this in like a whole journal out of this because mm-hmm. I think it would just be so useful to people. So you've created this idea of the pranic budget and I'm going to let you actually talk people through how it works, but I think sure. it's brilliant. So the pranic budget is something that I created when I realized, in fact, this started for me when I had broken my wrist and 
I had to really look at all of the things that that I had been doing that I couldn't do very efficiently with one one arm. And so it was at the time something very practical because I had to look at, you know, it's going to take me a lot more time to write an email and it's going to, you know, I can't carry 18 bags of groceries anymore. <laughs> I can only carry one at a time, yeah. you know. And when I looked at this from a more energetic perspective, I realized this isn't something that I should just be looking at because I have a wrist fracture. It's something I should be looking at because I'm probably using my energy in ways that it might be unnecessary for me to do certain tasks that I that I think must be done, like you said, that the the world will stop if I don't complete this. And that there are also things that are absolutely necessary. And on the same hand, that there are things that I love to do and maybe I'm not being able to you know, to participate in those things because I'm spending my time doing all of these little things that I think are absolutely necessary. So I created this pranic budget so that you could take a look at all of the things that you do. And of course, we can't list every single little thing that we do. But if you look at how your day works or your week works, there are so many things that we repeat all of the time. And if you list all of those things out, you can look through them and say, is this necessary or is this something that's unnecessary? And it could look like it's necessary even from a social standpoint, such as I use the example of volunteer work. Like volunteer work is great, mm -hmm. but if I don't have enough energy for myself and my health is deteriorating because I'm trying so hard to do all of the right things, then right now volunteer work is not good. It's not necessary. What's necessary are the things that are going to refuel me and the things that basically I just need to do to get by right now. It's about preserving your, your prana or your energy and using it for the things that that you need to do. And if there are potentially things that have to get done that maybe you don't have time for, or could you delegate them mm -hmm. out, which is, I think also it's difficult, especially the way that, that you're speaking is really, it resonates with the, the pitta dosha, that the responsible ones, the <laughs> ones that are <laughs> trying to save the world and get everything done and do everything right all at the same time. And so that dosha really has that that I mean, it's a little bit of a burden where you think you have to do all these things. And and yeah, like you can delegate that out and someone else might be able to do an okay job. It may not be exactly the way you wanted it done, but it saves you energy. And in turn, then in time, that allows you to to actually put energy forth towards the things that are really more important. So this budget is really meant to look at where are you spending your energy and also, how are you being refueled? Because if you are always giving your energy to other projects and other people, and you don't have the time for play or for creativity and the things that are really nourishing to your soul, then there's an issue. Mm -hmm. And a part of that budget also means then planning. You know, if I love to vacation and I love to travel, but I haven't been able to travel at all, then I need to at least start planning. And that planning could turn into daydreaming. And that daydreaming could turn into something really inspiring and a really good feeling. And, and that alone could be refueling. Hmm. Yeah. The great thing that you point out as you're talking about all of this in the book is that 
once you kind of get a sense of where your energy is going, like you have it, you have it really well mapped out at where you have after people write down their tasks, right, that they do in a day or in a week, you kind of mark, is this one necessary? You know, absolutely necessary, like buying groceries. Yes, necessary. Mm-hmm. Is it, I think it's necessary, unnecessary. Anyway, you have a, a system for mm-hmm. labeling right? and then for kind of seeing, and then you assess which ones add to your energy, you know, your budget or deplete your energy or your budget. And then from there, once you get a sense of all of that, you can kind of assess and come up with solutions, which I just think is so smart. Like, yes, you have to grocery shop, but could you maybe, you know, use an app or an online delivery service to grocery shop? Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, I started doing that two years ago when Sophia got really sick and Jason was away and I needed Tylenol and I'd never thought about it. And she had like a raging fever and I figured out I could do delivery service. And I was like, I'm going to do this all the time now. And I can't tell you how much time it saved me every week. And just kind of, it was really more also just the pranic budget of not like, I don't have to go and park and or take her with me on an errand that she hates to do or all of these things. So I love that you can kind of really assess and then think of practical solutions. And then I love that you also point out that, and this is something that's just taken me a really long time to learn. Sometimes we feel guilty for not completing all of the tasks, right? Like let's say in our house, because there's two people freelancing, you know, working from home, there's just dishes all the time. And a child who like doesn't do her own dishes yet, there's just dishes all the time. So let's say we didn't get the dishes done before we had to go walk the dog and pick up the kid. We worry the other person might be upset or something like that. But when you're really well budgeted, you're just an easier person to be around. Yes. And it's, yes. <laughs> and it's better yeah. for everyone around you too. Mm-hmm. And I think that like that is something that as I was writing and looking to help people and to find help them find solutions for some of the things that seem difficult for them, it's when you get people on board with what you're doing and they understand why you're doing it. So maybe you have a partner that doesn't understand the pranic budget at all. And they may think it's silly that you're sitting down and writing out all the things you do and ranking them and scoring them as to, you know, does it take energy from you and how much does it take from you? And they might look at that and think, why are you doing that? But if you say, this is going to make everything I do more efficient, I'll get to spend more time with you. I'll be less irritable when you don't put your shoes away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Then you have more of a support system for what you really need to do. Yeah. And I think it's also smart that you have people think about what's necessary and unnecessary because there are just unnecessary things that take us out of like the enjoyment of life if we let them. If we, you know, if we're not conscious of them and we're not conscious that we're just on autopilot and and un- unable to say no to to a small task here or there, it's it just kind of can suck the joy out of your life. I remember just seeing an interview on TV once this journalist had, um, he was like embedded in Afghanistan or something and he got really, really badly injured and, you know, they weren't sure if he was going to survive. And six months later, he and his wife were on TV and she they said, how has this changed your family? And she said, there are a lot more dishes in the sink these days and that's fine. You know, yes. it's like they, yeah. <laughs> she was not focused anymore on all of these little tasks that, you know, you just feel like you have to uphold. She was more focused on 
being with this person who she almost lost. Yes. And something that always comes to mind when this particular topic comes up is how we are with holidays and holiday traditions and how we think maybe like I love traditions and I love holidays and I think they're really important, even just like landmarks in our life and kind of like how I was talking about bookends to our day. I think they can act that same way. But if you're trying to make a certain dish just because it's been made every single year and you're stressing out about it. And I think, you know, my, my mom does this time sometimes where it's like, you know, not many of us eat cranberry sauce. So you don't need to make that (laughs) for Thanksgiving. But so, you know, like you're stressing about all these little things. Meanwhile, you're not even enjoying the process or or the end result just because you're trying to get all these things done. And it's like, we don't even care about that. You know, come and sit with us instead. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's like, it's, that is so true. That's a really good, I think everyone can relate to that because everyone's done that or experienced that at some point of like, mm-hmm. wait, aren't we supposed to be all together enjoying ourselves, <laughs> enjoying yes. our time together, but we're just yeah. worried about it being quote unquote perfect or okay. yeah. Yeah. I wanted to go back for a moment in the conversation and we were talking c- to the clock because yes. we were talking about shift workers. And that made me think, you know, it's summer. It's often a time for people to travel. And I would love to know your recommendation for traveling through time zones and and how to kind of either get back to your routine or stay on your routine or what's what's a healthy way to to go through time zones this always depends on how long the stay will be and also the amount of time that's you know the the hours that are different between the zones you're traveling so if you're taking a short trip and it's just a couple of hours different then I think it's great if you can stay on your home schedule. Okay. So I'm in the central time zone. And if I were traveling to California and I wake, I mean, actually that would make it so that I would, would be waking up quite early in, in California. I wake at around 5 a.m. Uh-huh. Um, between 5 and 5.30 every morning. So I would still want to get up at a time that was close to that here, which means I'm waking pretty early in uh-huh. California, right. you know? So that might be, seem a little bit dramatic, but the more you can stay consistent with that, if it's just a short trip, the better, because you haven't gotten off of your schedule, you're still on it. Okay. So that's one thing is to consider that if it's a short trip and it's not too far away, can you stay fairly consistent to what your body is already used to? Another thing that's really important is to wake up and always get daylight sun exposure right away. So even if that's just opening the blinds or the shades and letting the sun come in, or even if it's a cloudy day to have daylight, because that's resetting your circadian cycle. So your body will then be in sync with what's happening where you are. And that's important, especially if you're in a time zone that is much greater difference than where you currently live. So if you were traveling, say, to Europe from the U.S., that would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Another few things that I like, if you are if you have longer flights, I love for people to not eat on the plane and to wait until they arrive and to eat at the next mealtime so mm-hmm. that they can sync their digestive cycles. 
because it's not just our sleep cycles that dictate our circadian patterns, but it's also our eating times and just eating at consistent times and eating at the same time every day can, can be as beneficial as going to bed at the same time every Mm. night. Oh, wow. So getting your eating cycles in sync is also really important. Those are some of the bigger ones. Yeah. I like that. I cannot stand eating on airplanes. It's so funny. It's funny that you bring that up because I, I just, I don't know what it is. It's like, I either don't make good choices or I haven't packed the right thing or, and I don't like the way that I feel. I don't, it's, there's nothing about it that I like. So that's, that one will work well for me. (laughs) You know, another thing that comes to mind with flights too, is if you have an early morning flight, so the earlier morning around like the six to 7am time is when we should naturally be having a bowel movement. And if you're racing around your house to catch a flight that leaves at 6 a.m., your sympathetic nervous system is kicked in. And what our body doesn't want to do when we're in the fight or flight mode is we, we're not going to digest food and we're not going to have a bowel movement. And I think that when we travel, a lot of people become constipated when they travel. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that when you arrive to your destination, that you take time to just ground and transition. And that could be sitting on the floor, lying down, putting your legs at the wall, taking your shoes off, just like Bruce Willis did in Die Hard when he <laughs> would walk barefoot on the ground and grip with the toes. <laughs> There's like a scene in, in Die Hard where like, hey, that's actually a thing. That's actually Ayurveda. Wow. That's um, cool. Yeah. If you arrive at your destination and you just go, then the chances of your digestive system being off, you know, much greater because you're not getting into the natural ebb and flow of what your nervous system should be doing. So grounding and just like kind of thinking of, yeah, moving the energy downward. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. Well, I just appreciate this talk so much. And I also want to say that I think just another brilliant part of the book people can look forward to is you have a really practical troubleshooting section. And I just appreciate that so much. And, you know, because I think we can kind of get in our own way and that's normal. And again, like so many of us want to kind of quote unquote, do it right. And you just offer a really practical approach to incorporating all of this into your life and in a healthy way. Thank you. Yeah. So thanks so much, Sarah. And let me know if there's anything I missed or anything else you want to talk about. We covered so much. Yeah, we did. It was great chatting with you. We did. Okay. Okay, great. Well, we'll we'll just sign off there. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks as always for listening. I will put a link to Sarah's book and to her website on the show notes page, which you can find at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 155. As always, I implore you to do a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. It really helps the podcast to get found by other people. So thanks so much for listening. And until next week, enjoy your practice. Enjoy your practice.